if you please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, book of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, we'll be looking at um, just a couple of passages this morning. But I wanted to start with, um, uh, in fact, James talked about the what happens when you're, right, we talked about the gospel and um, and what it means, what the gospel means. But here's the thing is, now that you're saved, what do I do, right? Well, now that we're saved, what do I do? When I first, uh, when I got saved, I got, of course, I was all excited reading and learning and, and just... Um, sucking as much information as I wanted to from anyone, everyone, because <laughs> I was excited. But then I asked someone uh, about God's purpose in my life. What do you think God's purpose in my life is? Um, and that was my question for the longest, and no one could give me an answer that I liked, because I was still confused. Some, you know, to pull different passages and everything. Basically, what, what I was trying to what I was trying to do is ask the question or answer the question: uh, What does God expect from me? What is God's expectation now that I'm saved? How will you summarize the Christian life uh, in a, in a few verses if those existed in those days, right? And I I think I was. Um, Many of you might probably pull out many passages from Scripture and, and try to help me work through what God's ex- expectations are. And our, our text this morning, I think, is a good summary of what the Lord requires of us. What the Lord requires of us. We're answering the question, what does God expect in my life? You mean, I said, I mean, I have expectations? Well, yeah, we we all have expectations, uh, but I, I'm, I'm making an assumption this morning, and that I'm talking with believers, um, someone that understands the the me and you. We have surrendered our lives to Christ. We have accepted God's free uh, God's free gift of salvation, which is Christ Jesus giving up of himself, that cross, forgiving and removing the, uh, the sin and imputing his righteousness. So I'm saved from the wrath of God. What now? Right? If I belong to Christ, I, God expects something from us. So, but, but before we deal with that question, we, we have to look at some passages that will help us Put the passage Deuteronomy chapter ten uh, in perspective. In chapter one and three uh, of Deuteronomy are introductory uh, words from Moses to the people. Basically, what he's saying is, "We're here. We've been there. This is where we are. This is where we need to go." And if, uh, if we use our common phrase. Uh, Nowadays is get your act together, you know. Get your act together. So, uh, to re- to summarize 
the book of Deuteronomy is really to say, uh, okay, if you put in a few words, what, the, what, what is it? What is the theme of Deuteronomy? It's, it's really the renewal of the covenant. Now, we don't speak in covenant terms. Basically, it is relationship. What, what God is say, it's telling the Israelites, this is, um, uh, you, you are a chosen race. I mean, we have chosen you, and this is how you need to um, pretty much say, this is how you love me. This is, we have a relationship. We have this covenant relationship, right? It's a relationship. We don't use those words. We simply uh, use different words, but in, in, in short, we can say, God is teaching me how to love him, how to love God in the book of Deuteronomy. So chapter 4, then, Moses starts his appeal to the Israelites, saying, do not forget, right? Do not forget uh, the Lord your God. He warns them against idolatry. In chapter 5, he deals with the Ten Commandments, uh, as we see, um, touches the, with the Ten Commandments again. In chapter 6, he deals with the commands to teach the law. He's asking them, you need to teach the law of, of God. And chapter 7, we see the commands to conquer. Okay, this is uh, something that needs to be obedient, obedient uh, to, the, to the Lord. Chapter 8, we see the commandment to remember the Lord. Remember simply meaning um, who he is, his character. Chapter 9, Moses deals with more idolatry uh, past of the past and, and connects that with God's mercy. With God's mercy and his message for the people. And chapter 10 continues speaking of God's mercy to the Israelites. And then we see our passage here. It's kind of our, uh, what it seems, you know, from my perspective, this passage seems to be kind of an opening uh, verses for the rest of the book of Deuteronomy as, as Moses unfolds the Ten Commandments for them. So, that's, uh, so they are not a bunch of random commandments. Moses is unfolding the Ten Commandments for them. So basically, he's saying, this is, we, we were there, you're the first generation screwed up, you're the second generation, um, let me tell you about God's mercy, don't screw this one up, okay? So we are, we need to conquer the land as God commanded, but here's the renewal of the covenant, you need to learn how to love God, Okay? So here we are in this passage, passage uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, if you turn there. So just, just as God expected them certain things from the Israelites, this is what God expects from us as well. Transcends. It doesn't stay in the Old Testament. Those words doesn't stay in the Old Testament. Transcends generations to generations. So, um, I'll be reading from the New King James, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good? That's a question. So our outline is answering that question. <laughs> the, our outline is 
the text itself for, for this morning. But I want you to keep this in mind. Keep asking, what does the Lord require of me? What does the Lord require of me? Um, what does the Lord require in, in a Christian life? If I were to say um, a summary of the Christian life, I, I would think this will be my starting point. If I want to help someone navigate their Christian life, uh, this will be my starting point. Uh, if I, someone says, what do I do? What do I do? Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Let's start there. This is a good start even for discipleship. So what does God require of me? God requires for me reverence, fear. And now Israel, what does the Lord require, God, the Lord God require of you? Plural, right? But to fear the Lord, to fear, to have reverence. This is a term that is used in both Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes we add the adjective holy, holy fear, to describe uh, someone who is in awe of him, one who shows respect, devotion, right, to God. We have a respect for his majesty. We have a respect for his glory. I think we all agree that we should have reverence towards God, but this is a requirement for, for, for all of us. Um, one of the passages that helps me understand this concept to this concept of reverence uh, um, or, or even to illustrate this idea of reverence is the Exodus chapter 34. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. So in, in chapter 33, God asked the question, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. In chapter 34, God answers that. In chapter 34, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God's character his grace and mercy and justice in those few verses. His justice, not clearing the guilty. Look at uh, Moses' response. Verse 8. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worship. That's what happened. So when you learn about God's character, that should be our, also uh, our reaction. Uh, worship, reverence. Uh, one aspect of, of God. Uh, also practicing um, humility before God. This is what Moses did. He practiced humility. He made haste. He humbled himself in the present because he learned of his love. He's learned of his goodness, his majesty, wrath, and justice in just those few uh, words. His attributes humbled uh, Moses. Uh, there was a time when Christians were known as God-fearing people. Uh, 
um, according to Jerry Bridges, this would, that was this was the badge of honor. We don't speak in those terms anymore. Uh, we say that dude over there, <laughs> right? Well, this and that, or I don't, I don't like that guy. Uh, we, we don't talk about God-fearing people anymore, and I think yeah, we have lost something very special that that will um, that was um, uh, that belong in the in the Church of God. And this doctrine is just gone. And it might be because of so many different doctrines out there. We're more preoccupied with the uh, Christian secrets to financial success, right? Or we are maybe, I die, went to heaven, spoke with God, let me tell you about it, but give me your money as well, right? Or one of my favorite, my, my best life now, that's my favorite. Oh. So we don't deal with uh, God, God's fear, uh, we we are that's a different uh, that's a different uh, doctrine that we don't learn anymore. But that's what's required of us. Moses bowed down and worship. He was not the only one. Isaiah cried out, "Woe is me!" Ezekiel fell down, down uh, face to the ground. Peter said, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man." In the book of Revelation. Uh, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the throne and worship. Another aspect of God's fear is to tremble. In Isaiah 66, it says, But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and on a contrite spirit, and one who trembles on my word. Jeremiah 5.22 says, Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Verse 22 is, Verse 23 says, Will you not tremble at my presence? But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord. What does God require of me but to fear Him? The second requires to walk in His ways. To walk in His ways. In all His ways. Not 50% of them. Or 40% of them. <laughs> right? 70. 99, almost there. To walk in all his ways. Our Christian life must be lived in accordance to his will. His words, uh, this word is symbolically, you know, for a believer's conduct, lifestyle, spiritual state. We are maintaining a course of action that is conformed to God's will uh, and, and will be acceptable in his sight. In the Old Testament, we're told that in Genesis 5.12 that Enoch walked with God. In Genesis chapter 6, it says that Noah walked with God. And Abraham also walked with God. And if we move to the, to the New Testament, we are admonished by the New Testament. It says, walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians chapter 5. Walk in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4. Walk worthy of your calling. And First John 2, 6 says, He who says he abides in him at ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He commands us to walk in the light and not in darkness. It's a lifestyle. It's something that we, that we do as believers to walk um, according to God's will, to his commands. So the first one is what? Is to fear him. That's what's the first requirement. The second requirement is to walk, to walk in all his ways, to walk. Third requirement is to love him. To love him. 
God wants me to set my affections only on Him <coughs> and Him alone. First John 2.5 says, Do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, says, the love of the Father is not in him. That's even the New Testament. Is there a way that we can express our love towards God? Is there something in Scripture that can help us? And yeah, um, David, he's very expressive in his love towards God. He's very expressive. Psalm 63, it says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul, my soul, uh, my flesh longs for you. It says, this is, this is an earnest desire to know Him, to know God, and to, to be near Him. It's a net demonstration of God, uh, of His love for Him. Uh, we all know David. With all David's imperfections, he loved God. And we see that in the book of Psalms. He was not perfect, but one thing he was, he loved God, and he was not an idolater. That's an expression. Um, loving God will include obeying his commands. Loving God would include believing his word. Uh, loving God will be an, an attitude of thankfulness. It, it is the essence of loving God is admiring him and, and enjoying him. And, and we're not using romantic language. That's not what I mean. Is using scripture to help us guide us into uh, showing our affections. Affections. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. There's a lot of verbs there. <laughs> to desire, to dwell, to seek, to behold, to inquire. All those words are an expression of love as David desires to live in God's presence um, and live by his purpose. Is that our desire? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your, our God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is an action, not just emotions. We all fall short of that. I think all of us fall short of that. Our affections must be only for Him. And once again, I want to repeat this. I'm not saying we need to be using romantic language to express that. Right? We don't throw kisses in the air towards God. Um, we don't uh, use our the same words we use for our spouses, for our girlfriends, or for our teachers, or whatever, to express our love for God. The scripture tells us how do we express our love for God. What, what, what kind of words we should use. And we just saw them from Psalms. Um, that's how well we uh, need to be using. Uh, and the scripture says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's another expression of, uh, of showing God's love. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Says John. So if we, we are safe in scripture... To guide us when it comes to uh, showing the love for Him. The first requirement then is to fear Him, right? The second one is to walk in all His ways. The third is to love Him, and the fourth is to serve Him. To serve Him. What the what does the Lord requires from me in this life? 
it is to serve Him. To serve Him. We're to have the worship of God as the central in life. And I noticed that I used the word worship because everything about our life, our lifestyle, when we come to church, when we leave church, everything about us, it's an act of worship. It should be an act of worship. If we go back and look at Israel, everything that they were supposed to do as a nation and as individuals were an act of worship. It was an expression towards God, signifying, I worship God and God alone, no one else. So when they worshiped the Baals, they got in trouble. Worship and service uh, to God, they're, all, they're always connected in, in every possible way in, in, uh, in Scripture. Matthew chapter 6 gives us the idea. It says, no one can serve two masters. Remember, we're all familiar with that passage. You either serve God or you serve money or mammon. Whichever translation you have. Worship is not stated, but it's, it is implied. You cannot worship, have two masters, uh, according to chapter 6 in Matthew. To fully serve God means you, you means we are servants. We, uh, the scripture uses the word servant. Um, doesn't use anything else. Or bondservant. A lot of times he even uses the word slave. We're slaves of Christ. We're slaves of God. Nehemiah ended up using those words too. And interesting. Uh, as, as an act of, of, of worship. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says, is praying to God, and I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy for who, with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your slave. We can translate as a slave as well, even though we, we translate as a servant. Which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your slaves, your servants. Keep in mind, uh, we need to move away from the definition we're given of slavery of, of the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th century. Uh, it's a very different definition. It was an honor to say, I'm a slave of God. I'm a bondservant of God. I'm a servant of God. Uh, I'm a, even even during the time of Christ, it was it was a badge of honor. I'm a slave of Christ. As Paul, in the beginning of his letter, he would refer to himself as as a slave or servant, a bond servant uh, of Christ. Now, let's think for a moment what it means for these individuals. What it, what it meant for them. What it meant that they had a ma- they have a master. <laughs> it meant that the uh, submission to the master. The, the master has complete authority over my life and not someone else. It means complete self-rejection, embracing the will of another, which in this case the master. But the master promised to take care of the servant, of the slave. Now, it's, it's a different, different concept. The master protected the slave in every possible way, right? The, the good master, you know, the good master. Of, of course, there were abusive ones, but the good master. Slavery for them, it meant different. It meant it was different. So, but to serve God means a life of total surrender, a total self-denial. We're okay to say, I'm a slave of God. I'm a bond servant of God, right? 
um, I can, if you want me to, I can make an, a, a name tag that says I'm a slave. <laughs> I'm a, you know, it, it's, it's a badge of honor. It's a total self-denial. Um, they, they are God's, God, we are to serve God. We are to serve the Lord. That's one of our requirements. We are, we should be happy in serving, serving the Lord. So the first requirement we say is to fear, to fear Him. The second is to walk in His ways. The third is to love Him. The fourth is to serve Him. And the fifth is to keep, to keep the commandments of the Lord. That is to keep. What does the Lord requires in my life? Is to keep his require uh, his law, his law. What does it mean to keep? Well, it has a, uh, this word can mean to observe, preserve, to guard, protect. The sense of this word is, is that we own it and make it happen for us, right? We own God's word. We obey it and then we practice it. That's what it means to keep, to hold it close to us. Uh, what what are we to keep? We're to keep his commands. Uh, the the command seems straightforward, I think. Uh, and First John says, "For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome." Let's say, but self, they are burdensome. They are without any. You know, I'm having a hard time here. Uh, how come is it burdensome then? Uh, if, if scripture says they're not burdensome, but it's but they are for me. Is there there's something that I'm not understanding, comprehending? Um, yeah, I think if I can help you with that, I think there are stumbling blocks that we need to be aware of, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily snare us or entangle us or trap us and let us run with endurance the race that is before us there's this thing about remaining sin we're saved but this remaining sin is you know it's just there it's a battle it's a constant battle for all of us in Ephesians chapter 4 it says let all bitterness wrath anger Clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you. If this was not a problem, then Paul would have never said that. The problem is, Paul is dealing with a lot of issues in the churches. We have remaining sin. We continue to work and move on to maturity, as Hebrews chapter 12 encourages us to move on to maturity, to battle this remaining sin. Other things that the Bible speaks is is, uh, is the idea of purity, to be pure, abstain. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, we just saw that not not long ago. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your purity. Stay away from sexual immorality. Right. So that's that's those are the things that we are um, we are to be mindful of uh, those remaining sins and, and but um, but let's go over a couple of reasons why should we should be keeping God's commands why it's so important for us to keep the commands of God and this should be you know kind of a an incentive or encouragement uh, something that we must keep in mind reason number one is remember who we are 
Okay, remember who we are. First Peter one eight says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, but from your aim, aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Remember who you are. Remember who we are. We belong to to God. We're, we're slaves of Christ. Reason number two: remember who God is. And Deuteronomy keeps emphasizing that. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And who is God, if you're wondering? (laughs) Well, He's the one in charge. He's the creator. He's the one in charge of the universe. According to some sub-50, He, uh, good summer, He's the supreme being, the creator, ruler of all, sustains everything, doesn't need doesn't need me or you or anyone. Uh, he uh, exists within himself. He's powerful, full of goodness and wisdom. In regards to his nature, God is, we, we just talked about his mercy, right? His quality, God's spirit, uh, uh, to his nature, God's spirit. God is one, but exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is his nature. God is infinite, incomparable, unchanging, right? God exists everywhere. He knows everything. In regards to his character, he's just, loving, truthful, holy, right? Separated from the common. God shows compassion, mercy, and grace. In relation to his works, God's works. What we read in, in the first book of how God how his mighty works um, was seen in, in how he redeemed Israel from slavery. Uh, we cannot understand God, uh, God apart from his works because he shows his character. He sustains the world. He is executing his eternal plan of salvation. He is he's involved in the redemption of men, of mankind. He draws people to Christ. He disciples his children. He tells us what the requirements are in, for loving Him. We have this relationship with Him, this covenant with Him. Right? He became the Son of God, became man, and it, and, and it, it bridged that gap that we had between God and man. It's only through Christ that we have access. So, it, remember who we are, who do we belong to, and remember who God is. Right, that should help us. Uh, a motivation—it's a kind of a motivation for us to keep the commandments of God. So, what is the first one? First requirement. So, if someone asks you, "Sal, I need help. <laughs> um, can you summarize the Christian life for me?" Well, yeah. The first requirement God requires, expects from me, is to fear Him. To show him reverence. The second one is to walk in his ways. It's, an, it's, it's a lifestyle. To walk in God's ways. The thirst to love him. And I'm going to use scripture to express my love for him. Right? And make sure uh, I use scripture to for everything. But it is an expression of, of from David. David showing, teaching us how to love him. The fourth is to serve him. To serve him. Every aspect of our lives should be a reflection of worship. 
And the fifth is to keep His commandments, as we have seen. And when we keep His commandments, we've got to keep something in mind. We have to keep our remaining sin, but we also have to keep in mind who we are and who God is. So in conclusion, I want us to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Chapter 30. And because those words were, notice how uh, Moses in chapter 1 begins, in the first chapter begins to say, hey, um, this is where you've been, this is where we are now, this is where we need to go, right? And I mentioned that they better get their act together. So in chapter 30, he reminds them again. In fact, he does it a different way. Uh, and, and I think it also could be an encouragement and exhortation for us as well. There, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm sorry, 30, verse 19. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have set before you life and de- death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. For and, and it says right here, the, the next section is, for He is your life. He is your life. And so, and it was a message given to Israel. It's also a message applicable to us. Their blessings... Uh, we don't talk about the cursing. <laughs> it's a different message there. <laughs> but it's, uh, there are blessings, but there are uh, consequences when we move away from God. There are consequences. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, in just a few of these verses you have shown us, you have talk to us through your word of, of some of the requirements, the expectations. We know we battle sin within, but we know we have the spirit that can help us overcome our weaknesses. Help us, Lord, to love you, to fear you, to walk in your ways, to serve you, and to keep your commandments. Not just for myself, but for Pray this for all of us here, for our families and children and grandchildren. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.